Welcome to the Wilco Podcast. Worship Leaders Collective is a worship community of over 32,000 worship leaders from 99 countries around the world. You can check us out online at worshipleaderscollective.com or type in Worship Leaders Collective on Facebook to get connected for free today. Our hope is to help equip you with the tools and resources you need so that you can be who God's called you to be and do what He's called you to do. You've been called for such a time as this. Listen up as we dive into another episode of the Wilco Podcast. But I, I actually do, uh, I do want to talk about prophetic today. I, I love getting to share. Um, thanks for getting on today. I, I always ask the Lord, you know, for those who jump on these kind of things, just to bless you in a way that um, that is recognizable to you for giving yourself over to wanting to know him more and wanting to, you know, learn more about what we can do to lead and how we can lead better, how we can serve God better, how we can serve people better, you know? And so I thank you, Jenny, for creating, you know, a culture of that and just wanting to help people. And, and that's my whole, you know, for me, that's my life. It's why I do ministry. You know, I grew up in a, a, pastoral family and have been uh, in the church world for a really long time. And so there's a natural tendency to do it just because it's what you know. And, but there's been too many hurts in the church to just do this because it's what you know, you got to really make a decision. Like, is this really something I want to take on? You know, is this something where I I enjoy abuse or you know, like what kind of person am I to, you know, but honestly it, it is, it, it can be hurtful. It can be hard, but it is one of the most amazing journeys to serve God and to help serve people. And honestly, I, I told my father-in-law the other day, I said, you know, I was basically raised, raised in a way that was told like, you don't really have, friends and ministry, you know, it's almost like you can't get, let people too close. Don't let people into your home and all that kind of stuff. And, and I feel like God's kind of tearing down that wall and allowing us to journey with each other and to journey with friends. And, and the reason they always said not to do it is because, you know, pe people will hurt. Sometimes people will hurt you and people do things. And, but I told them the other day, like, when do you think Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him? Like I, I, I think he knew from the very beginning and he still brought Judas on. Right. So, and he still let him hang out with people and he even let him handle the money. I don't recommend that you're not Jesus. So uh, don't let people handle money unless you're Jesus, you know, like uh, not people who are going to stab you in the back, but, um, but I, I think it's important for us to recognize like God actually never intended us to do life alone. He never intended you to do life alone. He always intended you to have a community uh, a body of believers and, and friends and people to do life with. He never, ever wanted you to do this alone. Jesus didn't do it alone. Jesus had 12 guys that he did everything with. He did life with. He had three that, you know, were close enough to go up the mountain of transfiguration with him. And he had one that he laid his chest on. He didn't lay his, or his head on his chest. He laid his chest on. That's kind of weird, but uh, laid his head on his chest, you know, and <laughs> sorry, this is where my wife's like, please stop. Just, just do, do your it's thing. It's good. It's real. <laughs> so 
I think it's important for us to have these and and that's why I honored Jenny what she's doing because I just feel like she's created an, an avenue for that of connection and and hopefully you can find some friends even long distance friends in this some of you you know can even join from other countries can join from uh, other states or provinces or wherever you're at and so thanks for taking the time to even do this and I you know just let me pray just at the beginning God I just I do pray for us today that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We we don't want to do this of just like a powerless teaching. We we actually want to carry your authority and your spirit through everything that we do. So I just ask that your spirit would breathe on these words today. And wherever someone is at in life, every word that comes out actually may be interpreted differently for wherever they're at in their lives and what they're walking through right now. So God, I just pray that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And I pray that in that, that there would be an awakening for, the, for your church and for us to be able to turn the light on, that we do not fear the dark, for dark cannot exist in the presence of light. And so today I pray that you would be the light. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, um, some of you may know me well enough to know I don't wear glasses. This is this is something that is, I'm not trying to just be cool like Daniel Strickland on here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, getting older and was sent in by my wife, which is the doc, the eye doctor said it's the only reason men come is because their wives made them come in and come to find out. I did see things blurry. I didn't think I did until the doctor proved me wrong. And mm -hmm. it's interesting though, because there, I actually have 2015 vision up close, but I couldn't see further away. And one of the problems with correcting vision further away is that it actually can mess up your vision up close. So like I had better than perfect vision up close, but as I started to correct vision further away, something started to shift with my up close um, vision. So what they call the lenses that I'm wearing are progressive lenses. Okay. So the progressive lenses causes me to be able to look down and still see things the way I see them. And then, but to be able to have lenses to actually see clearer further away. And one of the things I feel like God is doing for us is like, as I've grown up, you know, there's been wars with theology, you know, it's just like every time somebody you know, has a theology that they feel sticks out greater than another one. They just start another denomination and they split off. They can't do life together. And it's almost like we built this weird thing that the church doesn't have the ability to sometimes disagree and still walk together. Like what a weird thing, you know, it's like my wife and I, you know, don't agree on everything and we, we, we're still together, believe it or not. You know, it's like, I think we just created this weird picture of like, we have to completely agree on everything to be able to walk together. And I just think that that's not, that's not even biblical. Jesus didn't even have that with the disciples. I mean, there's one point where he turns to Peter and he's like, you are Satan, <laughs> you know what it's like. And then, and you know, like the next chapter, he's like, and on this rock, I will build my church. And you're like, well, what is it? Is this the rock? Is this Satan? Like make up your mind, Jesus is Jesus double-minded here, you know? And, uh, but no, Jesus is basically saying like, Hey, Hey, you don't see everything clear. 
you have to keep walking this thing out. I'm going to clear up your vision. But sometimes when you start to clear up vision further away, what, what's in front of you starts to get blurry a little bit, you know? And so we have to understand how God works. And the very last book of the Bible is called Revelation. That should tell you, you don't know it all. You don't see it all. There's a revealing that is happening constantly throughout the word of God, where there, throughout your entire life, there should be these moments of just awe that God's like, did you know this about me? And you should be, you know, I'm 46 years old and, and I'm still in this moment of reading the word of God and something comes alive in me in a, in a scripture I've read a hundred times. And all of a sudden it's like, woo, like, oh, thank you, God. Like, I just got another glimpse of who you are. I've not seen that before, but there's, it, does it mean it wasn't there or does it mean other people haven't seen this? Or is this just me? Is this God? Like, no, God is constantly revealing himself to us and awakening things in us and trying to put us in this position of awe and wonder. And so sometimes it's difficult because as leaders and as pastors, it's our responsibility to actually walk in a room and start to try to help people see things clearly. So your job is actually like the, the guy who did the eye test with me. It's like, put him on. He's like, okay, do you see better with A or B? He's like, A. He's like, okay, okay, now A or B? You're like, uh, I think A, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if that's clear or not. And he's like, well, let me take you back to how you saw a minute ago. And you're like, oh yeah, that's definitely not as clear, right? You can't be afraid of that because what happens is we settle ourselves into Christianity. Like I know everything. I know it all. I know this is the way it is because something brought us to life. So when you walk into a place where you get your life changed and renewed, then all of a sudden it's like, well, this is right. You know, well, that, that can be the case where there is a lot of goodness to it and a lot of rightness to it. But now God starts expanding and saying like, hey, you know, there are other avenues, there are other things. And so we created entire, entire denominations of things that just didn't fit our box of what we were comfortable with. And then we start to be led by traditions. And so the, the, the loss of clarity actually comes because we think we see clearly and we stick to it so hard and God starts shifting and not that he you know, he's always the same, but he's always revealing different aspects of his character and his nature. And so in that, sometimes we get stuck in tradition. Well, I'm definitely not against tradition. I believe in tradition. I believe in, you know, um, I, if I'm going to talk in worship leader language, I believe in the hymns and I believe in the choruses. I believe in the word of God being spoken in many different ways. You know, in the Bible, for those who want to just stick on hymns, it's really difficult because in, in the Bible, it says when they when they got a picture of heaven, they cried out, holy, 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 day and night. And it's like, why are we singing all these repetitive songs and getting stuck in this thing? I had one guy tell me, he's like, are you trying to hypnotize us? And I was like, man, if I could hypnotize you with the word holy, 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 I would do it. Trust me. Uh, that's If there's a word I'm going to hypnotize you with, it's going to be that one. Set apart, set apart, set apart, you know. But obviously, you've not been hypnotized because you're not set apart, you know. And so in this, what we want to do is we want to wrestle in our hearts. Like when Jesus encounters the Pharisees, he makes a statement and he says, um, he says, Isaiah was right of you. When he said this, he said, you're a people who praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship of me. 
So it, it wasn't that they weren't worshiping him, but your worship of me is in vain because it's just rules taught by men. For you have held on to the traditions of man, but let go of the commands of God. So we have to be really careful in this, that we're not holding on to just the things we like. And we've built entire theologies about God to keep certain things out that God actually likes. So one of the, I said this Sunday, but one of the scriptures that breaks my heart the most is in Revelation where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I was like, who closed the door on you? Who closed the door on Jesus? You know? And I think sometimes we do that because we become so comfortable in our understanding. We don't want wonder and awe because wonder and awe causes me to lose control. And I don't want to lose control. I like control. And so when I'm controlling, though, the problem is God is made in my image. I'm no longer made in his. Because in his, there are some things that I cannot grasp or understand in my limit my limited capacity, my limited capacity of the flesh, my limited capacity of time, my limited capacity of resources. And so what God is trying to get you to do is trying to get you to tap into the unlimited realm. That's why faith is a substance of things not yet seen, but things we hope for. So that means if I hope for this, but I haven't seen it for some people, like, I don't think healing's real because I haven't seen it. Well, yeah, but that's, that's the substance of things not yet seen, but things hoped for. So what do I hope for? And I'm reaching into the heavenly realm and I'm pulling it into now. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we've been entire theologies just to get us out of earth, get us off the earth, get us to go away. And like, that's going to be the greatest success of God is getting us to, uh, to abandon a planet so he can just blow it up and start over. And God's like, well, I didn't blow you up to start over. I didn't blow you up. Like, well, it's going to be, it's going to be burned by fire. Well, you know what, when you were transformed by fire, by the, the fire of the Holy Spirit, he didn't blow you up to make a new you. How did your old man get transformed into a renewing position? And so for me, I realized there's something God wants to do in the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I have to start clearing up the lenses that while I'm on the earth, that doesn't remove the position of Jesus coming back for his bride and all this stuff. What it does, though, is it says I have a responsibility here on the earth and I need to have clear lenses that my prayer life isn't this escapism of just help me get out of it. When actually the only reason darkness is is still looking like it's in control is not because darkness has power. There is zero inherent power in darkness. Darkness just means the absence of light. Mm -hmm. So Jesus comes to us and he says, now you are the light of the world. Well, I know that uh, all the word also says that Jesus is the light of the world, but he looks at us and he goes, now you are the light of the world. So if I'm going to start talking about prophecy, I have to actually start talking about who am I and be identified by something. I don't pursue prophecy. I pursue identity. When I identify as a son and daughter of God, then I don't think, well, I want to prophesy now. What I speak out of my mouth as a son and daughter of God is prophecy, if you like it or not. 
because I'm speaking the coming things of God. I'm speaking the renewal of God into the earth. I'm speaking light into the earth. That is the prophetic. Why is the prophetic an encouragement? It brings courage back to the body because it's speaking things we may not see right in this moment, but things that we know we are supposed to hope for. So I'm going to believe for something ahead of time. I'm going to speak it ahead of time. And I don't have to call my prophet, myself a prophet to do it. Prophet is not a title. Prophet is a function. So we have too many guys and girls trying to fight for the level of profit, just trying to tell somebody, somebody, their future husband or wife type of thing. And you're like, okay, I guess that's fine. But Paul actually says this. He actually says, I know you guys are all focusing on tongues, but I wish you'd all prophesy. Well, this is hard for us. If I'm being really honest, this has been a really blurry part of my vision for a while. One of the reasons it's been a blurry part of my vision is because it's been abused and I don't like it. So what I had to do is I actually had to start going, actually, I can read some of it to you, but you'll find in Ephesians, no, I'm going to find it in Ephesians chapter two, verse 20. Listen to what it says. Uh, it says, this is verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. So I was asking my staff the other day, I said, let me ask you a question. When I say the word pastor, does it bother any of you? I mean, does it bother you when I say the word pastor? No. What if I say teacher? Is anybody bothered by the word teacher? No, not usually. Anybody bothered by the word evangelist? Not usually. I mean, we all know a couple of weird ones, you know, and, um, and we've all had some pastors who abuse certain things and stuff, but we're, but I mean, if you go into a church, even if you're a teacher, we're not calling you a teacher. We're calling you a pastor. That's how much we love the word, you know? So if I say the word apostle, does it bother you? It, it may not bother you, but does it like, you know, if you grew up in the culture of the word apostle, maybe you understand it a little bit more. But um, what if I say the word prophet? You know, if you grew up in a traditional setting, a lot of you didn't hear the word prophecy, or at least uh, sometimes were built, you know, theologies were built because of the lack of it. And so it was easier to create a theology that it doesn't exist than it is to actually pursue something God wanted to bless the church with. It's easier to create theologies for our fears, you know, to act like it's non-existent so I don't have to deal with it. And that's what a lot of denominations did. They're just like, well, that died with the apostles. And I was like, well, what date did that happen? Because you'd think that'd be written down. That's a pretty important date. You know, like, when did that guy die? If that's the case, you know, you'd think Jesus would make that an important point. Like, hey, you need to get as much of this apostolic stuff done before that last guy dies. And here's the date it's going to happen. I mean, that's just me. I don't know about you. But, but for me, I realized, like, this is something God is establishing. The reason I think we're afraid of the word apostle and prophet is because in Ephesians, it says, and this is going to be the foundation of the church, apostles and prophets. That's hard for us because I don't even like to think that way. I don't want to have to think that this is foundational. But one of the reasons our churches are so shaky is it's because it's led by a bunch of people who call themselves shepherds, but don't have any shepherd anointing. 
They don't function as shepherds. So they function, they probably, some of them even might even have an apostolic anointing on their life to be sent ones and establishers, but they were never meant to be the pastors. A fivefold ministry is we were gifted with a fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and apostle. And we don't like two of those. So we're just going to run on these three. Like I can only run on three wheels, you know, and God's saying like, no, I'm going to give you back these positions of the apostolic, which means an establisher. And I'm going to give you back the, the prophet. I'm going to give you a prophetic voice back to your church. Well, the, the power of this is it's very scriptural, but the reason the enemy gets in and makes us so afraid of it is because he understands if we don't have a foundation, Jesus makes this very clear. If you have shaky foundations and it's built on sand, your house is going to fall apart every time. So what does the enemy do when he knows he can't destroy us? You know, what he does is he starts to remove pieces and make us fearful of it and build religion. So then we even dig in harder because we're going to make a point with religion. I'm not talking about being evil. I'm talking about let's not do anything. And you're like, no, doing nothing is evil. I'm just telling you right now, like some of you have just fought to be good your whole life. But just being good is not what Christianity was about. You are a change agent in the earth. You are supposed to be the, the, the voice of God in the earth. The Bible actually calls you an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador gets to speak with authority for the kingdom that he belongs to. So I recognize the first thing I have to do is not fight for prophecy. I have to fight for identity. And I have to recognize I am a son and daughter of the king. And I know we use that language a lot, but the truth is, is, you know, you cannot, scripture is really clear in James. He says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be a doer of the word. If you don't, he says, it's going to be like looking into a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like. Well, what he's basically saying is like, what's going to happen is you're going to get face to face with God and realize this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in my weakness. He is made strong. In my mouth, the Bible says, I hold life and death in the power of my tongue. Those who believe in him will have rivers of living water pouring from their bellies. So in all of this, I have to ask myself, like, when I look myself in the mirror and I see who God's called me to be, I'm like, yes. The problem is when I walk away, I forget my identity because I'm not doing it. I'm just wanting the picture of it, but I'm not wanting to facilitate it. So we have to start recognizing like, no, this is who I'm called to be. And one of the things that I've, even for our own church, I'm just going to kind of regurgitate a little bit of a message I just spoke recently. Um, but God's been really, really uh, pushing me to fight against this system of just establishing the old nature and the old way. And, and so one of the ways that I've done that is I've looked at the book of Samuel, actually, this is kind of funny. Uh, I went to Samuel and I felt God directed me to chapter eight and listen, listen to the, the, what, what happens in chapter eight. It says that, um, this is when they start asking, uh, Israel, this is verse four. I'll just read it. It says, so all the elders of Israel gathered, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says. It says, 
And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt and unto this day forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. And he goes through all of these things about what will happen with the sons and daughters. Well, as I was reading that, I realized one of the most difficult things for us in the church is looking at everyone else's success and then trying to imitate it. And we start asking God for a level of success. And a lot of that has come by reestablishing a position of almost kings in our lives who we want just to tell us what to do. So part of the problem I have with pastoring is I have a bunch of people who want me to do the work who want me to read the Bible for them, who want me to be the voice for them, who want me to heal the sick, who want me to raise the dead, because it's easier to look at the system of success and reestablish a king. And what's happened in our religious system is we've reestablished through even a not a good system sometimes of pastoring and stuff of we want a hierarchy of somebody to rule over us and tell us what to do. And in doing that, we have lost the voice of sons and daughters in the earth again, and we have recreated a hierarchy system where they have made our sons and daughters basically subservient in the ministry and say basically like our people that come in to minister are no longer ministering unto the Lord. We're always ministering to them. So then when they show up to church, it's basically just saying like, what can you give me? What can you give me? What can you give me? What do, and, and as soon as I don't like what you're giving, I leave. Well, we've established that system. So it's not their fault. We've established that's the right system. So let me tell you the way God fixes this. Okay. And this is what he did. And this is what he'll continue to do. So in the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, chapter one is all basically saying when Jesus ascends, it's not saying Jesus is just going up into the sky. By Jesus being elevated on a cloud, it's saying, hey, guess what? The king, this is the king. God never intended for his people to be ruled by a king. He always wanted them led by prophets. Because the prophets are the voice of God in the earth. So the mouthpiece of God in the earth is the prophets. So God always intended for the people of God to be led by his voice. And the prophets were the ones helping facilitate it. Well, when they rejected the voice of the prophet, they established a king. And the king was not the voice of God. The king started leaning into his own preferences and started making sons and daughters slaves, right? So now listen to this, book of Acts. Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he comes back and hangs out with his with the disciples for 40 days, which blows my mind. The resurrected king of the universe 
hangs out with his guys for 40 days just teaching them like what the heck this is this is jesus like this is amazing i mean this should tell you a lot about his nature and his character that he rose from the dead and he's not just like okay i did my thing now i'm hanging out up here he's like no i'm gonna come back now for 40 days and the first thing he's doing is cooking fish for him jesus likes to eat you know what i'm saying this is how him and i connect the most. When he said, I'm the bread of life, I was like, this is my dude. And I tell you, he's not gluten-free. I'm just telling you right now. Um, okay. Just so everybody knows. Um, so, but in heaven, no gluten, there's no gluten allergies. So I just want you to know that this is going to be okay. You're going to finally get to enjoy bread again. Right. Thank you, Jesus. So listen to what happens though. This is a, this is just to put a set of lenses on you. Okay. So first chapter of Acts, what happens? Jesus ascends, which establishes him. And they even talk about it. The rulership of Jesus. He is king over his people again. He's victorious. He is removing the religious system that has held us bound. He's breaking off the power of darkness. And he's saying, I am going to rule my people again. And how does he rule his people? He says, hey, I'm going away. I am, I am, I'm revealing myself as king, but now I'm going to send my spirit. Now, hold on for a second. I'm going to send my spirit. And I need you to all get together in one place, in one accord. And this is what happens in chapter two. This is amazing. So it's reestablishing God as the king of our lives again. And in chapter two, it says this, the spirit of God comes and they start speaking in other tongues, right? So now all of a sudden there's something that's unifying us. That's not of us. Like we're, we're, you know, we make this thing about tongues and like, there's all kinds of theologies about it, but he gave it as a gift to us to unify us with the heavenly language that says, this is a mark on you. You are a different people. Those of you who are afraid of speaking in tongues, like the Bible says it's a gift. This isn't, this isn't something you're supposed to feel bad about or like, and some people are like, well, I feel like I'm doing it. And I feel like, yeah, but that's faith. If you pray for healing, it's not like all of a sudden a different voice, a male voice comes out of a woman like, I'm here to heal you. Like, you know, it's like, no, he uses you. He uses your mouth. He uses your hands. He's not afraid of you, you know? And so what he does, this is so awesome. The spirit of God comes. They're speaking in other tongues. Other men hear it in their own language. So is the miracle in the speaking or is the miracle in the hearing at that point? And then this is what Peter says. He comes out and he preaches a sermon and he says, this is that, that the prophet Joel spoke about. And Joel said this, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. What is happening now is the reestablishment of sons and daughters in the earth to lead the people of God again through the prophetic voice that he's always intended you to have. So what was stolen from us when we gave a king position was he made us slaves. But now Jesus gives us our voice back and he says, I'm reestablishing my prophetic voice in the earth. And you know what the prophetic voice is? Sons and daughters who talk about their dad. That's prophetic. Like, don't make this so hard. You know, I understand there are different things in the office of a prophet. And you get, But don't get stuck in the mud to not get your own voice unlocked. When you speak any kind of thing of God, it is a wonder and a mystery to those who don't know. And you are supposed to be unlocked. Even when you're singing, start recognizing, I'm singing a song right now. You are good. 
you are good. Oh, oh, you know, like we even, there could have even been more words to that song. You know, maybe there should have been, but there's something that happens in the anointing of it when everything doesn't look good, but I still say it's good. That means I know something that not everybody knows. And when I speak it out, there is a prophetic unction that happens that says, I believe that heaven is real. I believe that Jesus is real. And I speak out the wonders and mysteries of God as a son and daughter of God. So in this, Acts is actually reestablishing our position in the earth. It's not just reestablishing Jesus as king. Once he's king, he says, now I am going to put back in position the ones who are going to help guide my people. And that's why when Paul says, I wish that you would all prophesy, he says, it's for the building up of the body. It's for the encouragement. And the enemy is so good at bringing discouragement. And what you're supposed to be is bringing encouragement. Discouragement is the loss of courage. Encouragement is the putting of courage back in the people of God, reminding them of his wonders, reminding them of his mysteries, reminding them of his history, reminding them of their history and their journey, how God has never failed them. God has never left them. Even in the seasons of COVID and even in the seasons of hard times, we remember God never changes. He's the one who led us through the sea. He's the one who led us up the mountain. He's the one who led us into the promise. This is the same God today. This is the same God who sent his son in flesh. This is the same God who his son took on our very nature and hung on a cross and gave his life for the, for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the same God that first John talks about that says the reason the son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. So I am going to be a proclaimer of that. And as soon as I proclaim that I am in prophecy. And I know we want to make it harder than that. But the truth is, is that your job is in the, in the prophetic realm is start to call the gold back out of the people. The job of the prophet was only to reveal their sin because the sin is what was keeping them from the promise. He didn't want them to reveal sin, to tell them how sinful they were. He wanted them to remember, this is not what I created you to be. And so in the book of Acts, when the spirit of God comes, it's actually to release you into prophecy. The problem is, if you don't have those lenses on, then you don't have the intent and the spirit behind it. And you just become just another teacher that it's just rules taught by men. And I want an understanding of what I'm about to do. There is an expectation on because there's faith to it. And we have to understand how faith works. Remember, Jesus is walking down the road and thousands of people are pushing into him. And one woman gets down on her hands and knees and touches the hem of his garment. And immediately Jesus stops and says, who just touched me? And all the disciples are like, we all touched you, dude. <laughs> like we're all, bum you just stopped suddenly. We all touched you. And he's like, no, someone just touched me with expectation. Somebody just touched me with faith. What happens if you really start to believe you are a son and daughter of the king, and when you speak, something happens? How about this? What if you started to believe every word out of your mouth is going to happen? Hmm. How would you talk if you knew that every word you spoke came true? I mean, you probably wouldn't complain as much knowing that if I speak this, 
This is going to be enacted in the earth. But the Bible is very clear about the, you, you have the ability to loose things. You have the ability to bind things. And if you loose it on earth, then it's loosed in heaven. If you, if you bind it on earth, it's bound in heaven. Well, you have to start understanding who you're called to be. And the authority of God is placed in you. It is the authority of the believer God placed in you. But you have to start responding like it. And so for people who tell me like, yeah, I believe in healing. And I want to say like, who's the last person you prayed for? Because you walk by tons of sick people today. You know, we have a guy in our church who's only been saved a couple years, came out of a really rough background. Him and his wife um, actually met one of our worship leaders. She was leading worship at the time here, Amanda Kenner. She's amazing. And they met her at their pool at their apartment. And she invited them to a live recording. They came and got just completely radically changed. And this guy's only been saved for about two years. And he started reading the Bible and asking me, like, is this stuff true? Like, can you do this stuff? Can you actually pray for the sick? And like, like, yeah. And he's like, all right. And he's like, and, and he's like, can I speak encouragement to anybody from the voice of God? Yeah. And this guy just starts being an encourager to people. And I mean, like when he comes up, it's like, he says things. I was like, hold, like, that's God. Like, that's not him doing it, but he's not afraid. So the other day he's driving through his neighborhood and he feels the Lord say, stop at that random house and ask if you could pray for them. So he stops at some random house in his neighborhood, knocks on the door. The person opens the door and it's a lady. And he's like, Hey, my name's Randall. I know you don't know me, but I was driving by. felt like I was supposed to stop pray for you. Is, is anyone in your house sick? And she's like, actually, my husband got sick this morning. And he's like, can I pray for him? She's like, uh, sure. So she goes, gets her husband and he comes down and he prays for this guy and Randall's so honest. He's just like, you know, he prays for him and then turns around and walks out. And he's like, all right, well, have a great day. And he leaves, right? So uh, a couple weeks later, his wife is sitting at the computer and she gets this email. And it's a lady who oversees the properties in the neighborhood that they're getting a house built in. And she says, hey, there's a family that's asking about Randall. And I assume it's your Randall because they said he randomly stopped at a house and prayed for him. And I know your husband well enough, but that's probably him. And they want to talk to you. Well, then answering the email, he's never going to believe this. I was driving the street and there's this huge sign in the yard that says, Randall, stop by. Randall stop by. So Randall ends up going. Did I freeze? Can you still hear me? Everybody froze like this. So, so there's a huge sign in the yard that says Randall stop by. So Randall goes to the house and the guy comes out all excited. This guy ended up having to go to the hospital. While he's in the hospital, he remembers prayers that Randall prayed for him and instantly gets well ends up leaving the hospital, goes home. Well, Randall also prayed over his marriage and him and his wife had been talking about divorce. And he says, the past two weeks have been the best two weeks of our marriage. Oh. And I'm thinking like, how does this Come guy on. who's been saved, basically saved two years, you know why? Because he believes it. And part of it for me is like, we've made this so hard. And it's like, well, I'm going to give you the six steps to being a prophetic voice in the earth. It's like, no, as a son and daughter, you are a prophetic voice if you like it or not. He says this, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
So I understand there are moments of divine words, but I'm telling you, he's releasing you to be a voice for your church. If you will start taking that on, you're not going to have to fight for it. You'll become it. So don't fight for a position, fight from one. If, if, if you have invited the spirit of God into your life, he, Paul, Peter said, this is that, this is that, that prophecy of Joel. And in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Do you, everybody pinch themselves, make sure you have some. Everybody got some flesh? Well, congratulations. You are now qualified. You know, you are now qualified. On all flesh, sons and daughters will be released to speak again. And Isaiah, it says, when the, when the Messiah reveals himself, the voiceless will break into a song. So for some of you who have lost your voice, some, that was the very goal of the enemy because he's scared to death of you. He knows what happens when you find your voice. And so this voice is not a voice of abuse. It's not a voice of control. We're not trying to establish ourselves as kings again. And like, we're going to rule over you. It's like, no, this is now the very foundation. We're laying the groundwork for God to build his church. And in doing that, we become the voices of encouragement that God is going to release his spirit on all flesh. Now you get to become the example. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you felt encouraged and a little more equipped for the journey you're on this season. If you're interested in weekly mentorship in a small group setting or would like to find more worship resources, check it all out at worshipleaderscollective.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Connect, encourage, and equip. This is what we're all about at Wilco. We go together, not alone. Together, we can help move church forward.